Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS, and part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Seabass from WNWS in Jackson, Tennessee. Let's get right into it with Seabass. Seabass joins us from WNWS in Jackson, Tennessee. My man, you were busy last week. We didn't have time to catch up. Welcome back to the show. Hope you are well. Oh, I am extremely well, sir. I'm, I'm doing I'm doing pretty well, my friend. Uh, I've had, I had the ability to exhale for a little while. <laughs> I know our last podcast was a lot of fun. Um, got a win since that podcast. Had another loss uh, since then as, as, as well. And there's a lot to digest, and I'm, I'm ready to chit-chat about it. There is. Uh a lot to talk about because, again, two games have happened since we have spoken last, and so two very mixed games. Three in the bag total. We've talked about one. What's your impression of everything after three games? Uh, after, after three games, I, I, I still don't know who we are. <laughs> what did you expect to know? Not really. Um, you know, I was really – Really, I mean, you you know, after the first week in well, first quarter in Fort Collins, uh, I was just like, you know, why am I, why am I sitting at home on a Saturday night, going through this crap again? And I don't know what happened. I don't know if what if somebody said something. Uh, Alan George gets a piece of a punt, and the next thing it was Alan George, right? It wasn't B.J. Anderson, was it? It was, it was Alan. It was George, Alan. Right? Okay, they've got a piece of a punt, and the next thing you know, I'm not going to say we're playing James Franklin football, uh, but all of a sudden, everything that we've been asking for out of this team to do to show us, they did. Just all of a sudden, the switch just came on. And I was like, well, well, this right here, this would have murdered ETSU. Where was this? And we got that, and even when there was a little adversity right there at the end, they found a way to come back with the aid of some penalties by Colorado State. But how often, in our experience as Vanderbilt fans, do we see us go on the road and kick a game-winning field goal almost as time expires? I mean, that, that just doesn't happen, and I thought, it was a, I thought it was a great rebound. And then came Stanford, and, uh, you know, the first 28 minutes of that of that of that football game, you know, outside of the drive, the first drive where Stanford just went down and scored like that, I, I saw a lot to like. I was like, okay, this this was not a one-time thing. This is what this team is going to look like. This is what they're going to be. This I see capability. We're not going to win any SEC titles, but I see a team that's ready to fight. I see a coaching staff that's ready to throw down. And then the last two minutes of that quarter happened. And in a game in which they probably no worse should have been down a field goal, we're down 13 points. Okay. So then I thought, well, this team's going to come out. And that was just one of those things. You know, it, it, you know, you slip in mud a little bit and you get a little dirty and then you 
got to, it takes you a minute to stand up every now and then. Uh, but what I saw was, and it was the weirdest thing, because I know a lot of people are probably going to ask in the mailbag about that last two minutes. Uh, I, I suppose they will. Um, so when they probably should have been a little more conservative, they weren't. And then in the, the, the entire second half, the thing that just miffed me the most is that for some unknown reason, the game plan, at least it looked like to me, and maybe I saw something completely different from you and the rest of Commodore Nation, they looked as if they were trying to protect a 17-point lead, not overcome it. And I, I, there was absolutely no sense of urgency whatsoever. And I'm sorry, and I know we can be critical sometimes, but sometimes you need to be. When you are down 17 points at home in the fourth quarter, for God's sakes, why are you huddling after every play? Time is no longer on your side at that point. You've got to make some. You got to. You got to. You got to change some things. You got to pick up the tempo, whether you want to or not. And I, I get maybe your players are tired or whatever the case may be, and depth's an issue. But we played that second half as if we were the ones with the lead, not the ones trying to come back. And I never saw anything that even remotely resembled an attempt to make a comeback. And I just, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't understand why, because that sense of fight and urgency that they played with between quarters two of the Colorado State game and almost all the way up through the first half of Stanford is the type of football that I think all Commodore fans want to watch. We understand that it won't be good enough to win some games, but we do understand that it'll keep them competitive in some and give us a reason to believe and give recruits in the stands a reason to believe and say, hey, this is something I want to be a part of. But if I'm a recruit and I'm at that game, I'm sitting there saying to myself, you do know you're not winning this football game now, right? Now, Chris, I've done a lot of talking, but that's what I saw. Maybe I saw something completely different from you and everybody else. And if so, school away. I think we're going to spend most of our time in the mailbag today because you've got a short window of time and we've got a ton of questions. But it hit me yesterday, and I don't know what particular it was that hit me, but this feels to me so much like Vanderbilt slash Bobby Johnson football circa 2002 from the way they play uh, to coaching demeanor to what I think is a timeline on a rebuild where there just isn't much left there that he got. And it just reminds me so much of 19 years ago. Am I wrong? Chris, honestly, I, I don't know. I don't know if I remember that much about those teams. You'll, you'd, you'd have to, I'd have to sit back and look and, and think about it. I, so I, I don't know if it, it mimics that team uh, or, or not. I just know whatever that we were doing there. Again, I, I'm not stupid. I understand that we have deficiencies. I, I get that. But I, I just, I just don't know what happened. Something clear didn't. Am, am I the only one that noticed this, or did they completely just put a governor on that offense in the second half? Because it's it's what I saw. 
I mean, just absolutely zero sense of urgency. In a game that, frankly, I mean, look, was Stanford a better team than we were? Yes. Yeah, they're, they're, Stanford's better than we are. That, I, don't, I don't think anybody's going to dispute that. But for two quarters, we were throwing haymakers at each other in the middle of the ring. And I, and I, I just don't I, – I get what happened in the last two minutes, but is that a legit reason to just come out and just go beyond ultra vanilla? If Bobby Johnson did those things, maybe he did. I don't remember. I'll be honest with you. I don't remember. Um, but that was it, was it was a little disappointing because I felt like it was a step back. And especially with, you know, he, he, here, here's something else for you. I thought it was an opportunity to learn about our football team a little bit more because, frankly, and I could be wrong about this, Commodore Nation, but in our next two games, and our second game is UConn, right? Is that right, Chris? That is correct. Uh, two weeks okay. or a week from Saturday, they will play UConn, which, by the way, is okay. a consensus by basically everybody's opinion, the worst team in the FCS. And I guess less people. Well, that that's a game they should win. The but I, see, I, I keep saying that, but um, a, a game they should win. But I also have not forgotten two weeks ago. Right. But, you know, that's, it's almost not even about football for, for Connecticut now. You know, yeah. that, they're not going to be able to get out of their own way. And the reason that I'm bringing that up is because that's why I felt like that second half was, against Stanford was so important because the truth is, well, Chris, what are we really going to learn about this football team over the next two games? Nothing. And the, the, this team doesn't have a prayer against Georgia. They, they, they don't. What is it that you're going to find out about this team that you don't know now? And what are you going to find out that you don't know already about this team against UConn? You know, UConn is dead in the water. I mean, there's absolutely – I mean, and if they if, – if that game is a struggle to win, then maybe we will learn something about Vanderbilt, but it's something you don't want to know. But in these next two games, I think they're both such mismatches that I don't know what there is for, for me to find out about this team. That Stanford second half to me was a great opportunity to do that. And I, and I didn't find out, and I didn't find anything out. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast is made possible by my friend Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. And just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville. But he sees regular folks like you and I as well. And what people like about the experience is the ambiance. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. I went in and looked at it myself. That's exactly what it is. It is a relaxing, friendly environment. So whether your dental needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody. Call him at 615-270-2322. His office is located at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown Nashville, not far from the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player, a huge booster of Commodore Athletics. His support as the title sponsor for Season 7 is the reason we are able to do this podcast. Go see Dr. Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast and tell him you heard about it here. Let's grab the mailbag if you're up for that. Let's do it, Commodore Nation. Let's go. Let's see what they got for us. 
Come on, Today's mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Mr. Vandy asks, what are the differences you've seen since week one until now? Oh, boy. Week number one, one of the first things, the offensive line. The way the offensive line, all of a sudden, you know, it came out of nowhere. And I know you'll agree with this, Chris. All of a sudden, they were picking everything up. Uh, they were, you know, they were they were holding blocks, and, and they were giving Ken Seals time. Ken was making strong throws. The receiving core uh, was making outstanding catches. The defense played with purpose. I mean, everything that they didn't do against ETSU, they did against Colorado State. And, of course, Saturday was a, last Saturday was, was a mixed bag of those things. And, you know, I think we're going to find, Chris, as you go, is this one of the best Denver teams I've ever seen? No, but it's still a pretty good one. And I think they're going to have success in the Pac-12. Um, they show they can, they can play with this team. They, you know, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think, and I'm going to ask your opinion, I don't think what happened to, to Vanderbilt – in the last two minutes of the second half of that game was a depth issue. I don't. That that I mean, depth comes into place in some games for sure, but I don't think that's what got them. I think some mistakes that they made right there at the end of the first half uh, got them, and they just, for some reason, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, just sometimes, you know, we're not privy to things on the outside looking in, and maybe there's things we don't know, but I, I just feel like they didn't. I don't think that the staff could say we literally gave everything we had and it just wasn't enough, you know? So I think we left some meat on the bone there, uh, but I saw confidence, a little bit more confidence in the, in the players. Uh, after after uh, that game against ETSU, I didn't think that this team could beat a, a, an FBS team. I didn't think they could beat anybody in the top 100. Uh, so I, I thought it was a heck of a rebound. I, I, I really do. And I'll be honest with you, especially after the first quarter, I thought it was going to be a, a 45-7 type of football game. And I give Coach Lee, first of all, congratulations, Coach, on your first win as a head football coach, especially for your alma mater. But um, it's, it's still a long way to go. Long, long, long way to go for sure. Dorking asks for your thoughts on offensive staff and play calling, and you think – Clark Lee will eventually have to make a change. I think, I think something's got to happen. I mean, I'm, I made quite clear in, the, in my opening salvo about how I feel about the play calling. And I look, Chris. Everybody knows one of the one of the one of the things that fans can pick apart more more so than any other thing is generally offensive play calling. Wouldn't you agree with that? When it comes to yes uh, to criticizing football coaches, it generally comes down to offensive play calling. And I understand that. But I think in this case, it was warranted. You know, what, what do I think about this offense and, and, and the play calling? I think it could be better as far as making changes. It's just a weird concept, period. You know, I, I don't really understand what's going on. You know, these are the, and, and again, I, I, I take into the fact that, that he's putting his staff together for the first time ever. So I get that. I mean, there's there's growing pains. I, I certainly get that. But you know what? You make a decision on who your guy is and your play caller 
uh, and you make sure before he ever signs his name on a contract that this guy is a capable offensive play caller. Uh, you know, that you absolutely 100% are ready to hand over the keys to the play calling and give them to you, uh, him and your quarterback and let them work together in unison. And if you don't believe you have that guy, then you can't hire that guy. You have to know for certain this guy can do this. this and, and I would say that he's proven that he can do it, but that's not always the case. Sometimes it's a young, hot hand that, you know, that you know he's capable, he just needs the opportunity, but hadn't done it yet. Uh, but that you have a thousand percent confidence that once he gets the opportunity, he's going to do it. This is, it just seems a little weird out of the box, the way we have things going. But I think this time next year, I think we need to have that in place. Know who our OC is, know who that play caller is and have full confidence in that. These are question marks. We don't need to be having this early. In other words, Joey Lynch has got about a two month, audition for offensive coordinator for next year is well, that fair and maybe so yeah it's fair but you know at the same time <laughs> we've played the easiest part of our schedule already i mean right you know so yeah it's yeah I that's mean, that's I mean, the, that's the unfortunate of, thing yes you know so while he may actually grow as a play caller uh and actually do pretty well i don't I, do we have the groceries i mean there's some pretty good teams out there in this conference, and as I'm sure you well know. <laughs> uh, so it, it, it won't be easy by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, I mean, what's, what is good is we've, seen, we've got some capable pass catchers who are showing that. A problem that we have is, uh, now I'll say this, Rocco Griffin was close to busting a couple of big ones. The other night, and he hit. He did, but I'm talking about to the house type of deal. He flashed some wheels. I like that. But this offense needed all hands on deck, and to lose Ramon Davis this early on, when we don't have any depth at all, we were already massively shorthanded, and then to lose him for the year. I mean, <laughs> that's a monster blow. And, you know, uh, an offensive coordinator can be great, and he can call plays, and he can do all these things, but you still have to have the playmakers in this. And, and I think that Rocco will be fine and Patrick and, and whoever else they have carrying the football, but I'm not going to pretend like losing Ramon Davis because he, I mean, he was running hard against Stanford. And, it, you know, that's a big, big, fat loss, man. So, I'll have you know. Hopefully, we won't incur a bunch more losses, and we can just grade Joey Lynch at the end of the year based on the play calling, and not because of the fact that he had nobody to move the football. Door King says a poster at Vandy Sports suggested coaching cost them the game on Saturday. Do you agree with that view, and why or why not? I don't know that it cost them the game. I just don't understand what they were doing. You know. I, I I would love to talk to them one-on-one and say, what, what was the plan coming out of the locker room? And I understand the last two minutes. I get that. I mean, we all saw it. But that's when, that's, that's when you come out in that second half and say, okay, and it's one possession at a time. There's not a 13-point uh, play, and I understand that. But like I said, Chris, I'm looking at it 12, 13 minutes. You're down by 17, and you're huddling up. How could you not have multiple plays already called? How could you not have be at the line and have the play come in from the sideline and you call it right there? Think about that. They huddled basically every single play. 
down multiple possessions and they're huddling every play. Let me ask you a question, very simply. Would you? No, and why? To, why not? Well, look, well for for obvious reasons, you're you're down a bunch for of points. Obvious reason. Well, and let me let me add one more thing. We saw how that went in the first half, and it seemed they had rhythm. They were playing. They weren't thinking. It was working, and so that's what makes it doubly puzzling to me. But but as we all know, football is a game of adjustments all the way down the line, and uh, that's great. And, and you're you're right about that. But sometimes game situa- situation dictates that you have to make some changes. You know, even Derek Mason. You know, when when he was there, he would talk. Remember when he talked about because I think it was you that he talked to about. He was talking about how when they played, I don't remember if it was it was some option team. Now we ended up getting our face beat in, so it looks like he didn't do a great job of preparing for it. But they practiced that even back in the spring. You have to prepare for all game scenarios, all of them. No matter what, whoever you're playing, whatever the situation may be, up by 20, down by 30, it's raining, you know, backup quarterbacks in, a million different things that you have to prepare for. And one of the things that you have to do is when you, and I'm not talking about pushing the panic button, but when you've reached the fourth quarter and you're down more than two possessions and you have the football, you have to make some changes. You just do. If the goal is to attempt to come back and win this football game. And in that fourth quarter, it did not look like that at all. Not one time when they had the ball did it look like that. And for me, that's an in-game adjustment that, I mean, that's not even really an adjustment. That's that's just reading the, the situation and understanding. I don't have the luxury of huddling after every stupid play because the clock is ticking and I'm down 17. So I have to pick it up, and they never did. Door King asks, where do you rank the talent level compared to the SEC? If they're not SEC level, what conference would you say are they most similar to in terms of talent? I mean, based on what we've seen so far, um, based on what we've seen so far, I, I think – I'll say I'll say two two conferences that come to mind. One wouldn't it make sense for me to say Mountain West, Chris? Wouldn't wouldn't that make a lot of sense? No, I don't think they're an average Mountain West team. You don't you don't think so? Well, go ahead. I'm going to pull something up as you're well, talking. Do, It'll well, sort no, of no, make no, my you, point. Now, was, was the question the question was I didn't I didn't say about an average one, uh, or maybe even an an, an A Sun at this point, something like that, like a South Alabama or somebody like that. Uh, maybe Arkansas state, um, teams who could play with a team in the sec for a little while or a Stanford for a little while, then eventually get worn down. But like I said, when they played Stanford, that's not what happened. They didn't get worn down. That's not why, uh, that game went the way that it did, at least on one side of the football. Uh, they go on the road and win in Fort Collins, and the ETSU game was what it was. I'll say this to you. If they played ET, if the team that showed up in Fort Collins second through fourth quarter played ETSU, they'd have won going away. Agree or not? Uh, they would have won. I don't know if they would have won going away, but they would have won. I, I think they would have won going away. Now, having said that, 
you also I mean, this is a weird year, Chris, because do you know who do you know who Chattanooga played last week? Uh yeah, Kentucky and had a lead in the fourth quarter. What was the score of that game? 28-23. Yeah. I can't make sense of that. Kentucky is a heck of a good football team. You know, I, I can't make sense of that. So maybe maybe week one was just one of those things. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But I mean, you know, I mean, here's one thing we know so far. Vanderbilt's better than Colorado State. You know, where where would you put Colorado State in the pantheon of their conference? Are they okay. the very bottom? Uh, I think I think they in Colorado State is about an even match and flip a coin. I think one wins five times and one wins the other, and and that was that one happened to be their night. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say two things, and then I'll move on to the next question because I know you're limited in your time. And I said this on the board this weekend. Not everybody who listens to the podcast reads the board, and not everybody who reads the board says everything I say, but. I think people know I've started an SEC site in February at southeastern14.com. And so my Saturdays I spend uh, with two TVs and sometimes a laptop or a phone watching as much of the SEC as I can. I'll get in about 12 hours and I'm usually watching different games simultaneously. I've seen everybody. They are at best two touchdowns worse than everybody else in this league. And I said that Jeff Sagarin's rankings came out that afternoon. I looked it up. They had Sagarin had South Carolina is the 13th best team in the league, and sure enough, they were almost exactly 14 points better than Vanderbilt. So I watched these teams. There's little comparison in terms of talent level for what they've got and what everybody else has, even the bad teams. Okay, I do another thing at the 14. I do a power poll every week. I've got four computer rankings in there. Those are Jeff Sagarin, Pro Football Focus, ESPN's FPI, and it's SP+. And then I've got four human-generated rankings, College Football News, CBS, USA Today, and Athlons. And I take those up, and I average them. And this week, Vanderbilt is 116 of the 130 FBS teams. Oreo is very wound up about this. Um, and I'll give you the teams from the bottom, and this this will tell you, this is eight sources, it's a summary of what they think, and this is an unbiased view on where they rank. Uh, the three teams at the bottom of the rankings are New Mexico State, UMass, and UConn in that order, with New Mexico State being 128. They're all independents. Uh, underneath Vanderbilt, you have two Sunbelt teams, that is Louisiana Monroe and Texas State. Uh, underneath Vanderbilt, you have three MAC teams. That's Akron, Ohio, and Bowling Green. Underneath Vanderbilt, you have two Mountain West teams. That is UTEP and UNLV. Underneath Vanderbilt, you have one, no, two Sun Belt teams. That would be uh, Texas State and Louisiana Monroe. And you've got one Power Five team underneath Vanderbilt. That is Kansas, which is in the Big 12, and is two spots beneath the Commodores. In case you're wondering, uh, right in front of Vanderbilt is Navy, which is independent. Two spots in front of Vanderbilt is South Florida, which is AAC. 
Then you go North Texas, Southern Miss, and Conference USA. So by this, Vanderbilt is at the bottom, uh, in, in the bottom tier, probably the bottom third to bottom fourth of any league in the country that you put them in right now within the FBS. And again, that's not me. That's what the computers and the folks who rank teams say. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. How am I going to argue with that? I wouldn't, I wouldn't even attempt to. You asked me where I thought they were, I told you. Yeah. Um, anyway, I mean, that that's... Well, and, and that leads into the next question, which is, how many years realistically do you think it would take Clark Lee to earn a bowl berth, if any? Man, <laughs> after three games, it, 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 it's it's a cool, it's a fun question. It's a it's a it's a hard question. Uh, I think he has to recruit very well, and I, I, I like this class that he's put together. I do. I, I think he's. He's, he's got to win local talent. I think he's got to get some pass rush in here. Uh, I, I know he's got to beef up in the trenches. That has no choice. It has to happen. Um, you know, the truth is, as I think about the East right now, you know, look, Georgia and Florida are what they are. Kentucky and Missouri are, I think, a little bit better playing than that. And I'm not sure what Tennessee and South Carolina are. Uh, but there's nothing overwhelming outside of those top two teams. Uh, you know, I look at like ne- next year's schedule. I-, I take a look at that. Those first three games, those are all winnable football games, and they got to win them all because they play somewhere in the middle of the hardest stretch of college football, three three college football games that I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, you know, I-, I, I mean, I, I don't. <laughs> it's just the worst. Uh, there are three games they have no chance of winning. Uh, man, you know, as the team that I look at right now is nowhere close. So, uh, you know, but like, you know, I hate to keep using the Robbie Caldwell deal, but I mean, it, it matters. I mean, because we, we would have said the same thing, you know, that, that this team wouldn't after that, that they wouldn't be in a bowl game for 10 years, somebody might say. But I don't know that. I mean, I, I don't know that Clark, the light doesn't come on for him and some of this team, and they recruit well, and they get some kids, and, and you get an impact player or two here and there and build a little depth, and who knows? Maybe it's two years from now. I think that's the – I think that's the – that's more of a uh, – that's it's probably more unlikely, but I, I think that's best-case scenario. Uh, here's what I'll say, though. If – Going into that fourth year, if if it's the same old three win type of deal, you know, then then we got to take a look around. But I don't think it is impossible to say uh, that going into that third year, you know, depending on what the roster looks like, that that possibly it could be one that could be playing for bowl games again. The next one comes from. Well, before you ask, sure. Wait, now, before you ask that next one. I want to know what you think about that. Am I is that is, is is a third year a pipe dream? Do you remember what I said to start the podcast about a Bobby Johnson type rebuild? Yeah, I remember. They went two wins, two wins, two wins. It was very deliberate. It was very methodical. Uh, it was very conservative offensively. Uh, it was very much we're going to build with our guys and our recruits and find the the, the needles in the haystack who fit here. Look, 
it was going to be it's going to be tough for like it's going to be tough for anybody if they say we're going to go full on not that they could do it juco and transfer rebuild that's going to be tough right their thing right. is they are building the long term foundation for the program they want and you look right now what are they playing three freshmen um they're not even giving those guys and I don't say this critically it just is they're not even throwing those guys in there to take their lumps. They are sitting those guys on the sideline. So most of those kids are not going to have experience next year till their redshirt freshman. Generally at Vanderbilt, unless you're a really good player, you're not contributing a ton till probably the end of your, you know, maybe midway through your sophomore year, and that might be a redshirt sophomore year. Um, I don't see them having the horses where they are now. I mean, they got some parts. I, I think I like Ken Seals as a quarterback. They've got a decent receiving room, comparatively speaking. But I've said this for a long time. I think you could probably go back and find me saying it last year when we were slogging through that, that I didn't see the speed on this team. Uh, you don't see them winning battles in the trenches. Um, I, I just don't know how you fix those things. And again, uh, coaching can help, and I, I don't think they've helped them in two of the three games so far. Now, you can argue Colorado State, but I just don't see an easy fix for this, and I don't see the philosophy from the top down on what they have taken on is geared towards a quick fix. In fact, they, they have been on the record saying it's not a quick fix. So I think, um, you know, I saw some people, I'm not calling anybody out in particular, but I, I saw oh, you know, the first four games look like good chances it wins next year. Some of that stuff, I'm like, wait a minute. Let's let's pump the brakes on this. I, I don't think that this gets magically fixed overnight, especially the way they're going. And again, I'm not saying they're going about it the wrong way. This just feels so much to me like what Bobby Johnson inherited where their talent was nowhere close to anybody else's in the league. And he took his time. He found his guys. He wasn't in a hurry, uh, and that's what they were. It was 2-2-2, two, 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 and then they had that year in 05 uh, with Cutler where they almost made a bowl. Um, we know how that went. And I just To me, this feels a whole lot like that. Maybe. It's just it's a hard question to answer because we're, we're talking about people who, A, some of them aren't there right now, uh, who will be, be, be a tra- via the few transfers they might take. Or, or, or impact players that, that come in and play right away, and players who are not ready to be an impact player at this moment, but in a year from now, two years from now, could absolutely be some of the better players on this team. So it's pure speculation, no matter how we slice it. Yeah, I mean, they, they just... If you've listened to this podcast for years, they, they let this rot to the core... They've done it with several sports now, uh, and this is just where they are. Right. But, but yes, but that's not what the question's about. The question's about not about where we are right now. It's about what they'll be in two or three years. Oh, you but, know, <laughs> but the unfortunately, the deck of cards doesn't get completely wow. uh, changed after this year. Well, I, and I, I didn't say just this year. I mean, other, I other than the fact that you, you've got most of these same players next year. Uh, it's, it's all, it's all very different, right? Well, but, but Chris, I, I'm, I'm having some I fun with you here. Gonna, okay. 
I hope so, because no matter what I say, you're going to come back to this current situation. And that's not what the question's about. Fair enough. Because you know, you're right. I mean, if that's what the question's about, then I can't refute that. That's 100% true, but that's not what they asked. Well, tell, tell me how this gets markedly better next year. Well, I don't know. I don't know that it is next year. I mean, this might be. I mean, seriously, that's what they wanted to know when this we could see this barren fruit. And as I said, in the third year, which was what my answer was, is where you could probably start to see because now we're building that everybody is indoctrinated into whatever this coaching staff is and whatever the philosophy is, and they're able to put down some some foundation. You know, when you put up a new driveway, a basketball goal in your driveway, right, one of those ones on the pole, not the one that hangs on your garage, but the one that you put some cement in, right? So you get it out, you get it in there, and you put that, pour that, you put the pole down in there, and you pour the concrete. As soon as you get done pouring the concrete and smooth it, you don't pick up the basketball and go try to dunk on it. Why? Because the concrete's still wet and things will fall over. You know, you got to let it solidify a little bit. You got to put a foundation there. And it may take more than a year. It might be that third year to get it done the way that it Clark, Clark, Clark Lee wants to. And believe me, I'm every bit as skeptical, skeptical about this university and its athletic department as not maybe not so, more so as you, because you'd have way more reason to be, than me. But the skepticism is, is founded and it's legitimate. But I do believe that Daniel Diermeyer is serious about it. I do believe that the $300 million is going to go a long way. I mean, it's a drop in the bucket, relatively speaking, and I get all that, but it does show a, a level of commitment uh, one way or the other. And I, I think we're going to see fruits of that. But in September of 2021, I can't give you that right now since it's not there yet. I was trying to grab something as you were speaking. I, I didn't grab the right thing, but I was in a movie called that. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> You've really thrown me off now. Um, yeah, I know. First year they go under Bobby Johnson, they go 0-8 in the SEC. The next year, and this is from memory, but I'm pretty sure this is right, they go 1-7 in the league. They beat Kentucky. That's when the students tear down the goalposts because they went 0-8 in the league the last year of Woody Woodenhofer. And then the next year they, they win two again. But if you remember 0-4, was the year that they played Tennessee and, you know, Tennessee was probably a 30-point favorite. And that was back when, when Tennessee was was still vintage Tennessee or closer to it. Um, and, you know, bigger, faster, stronger. They didn't belong on the same field, but they got Jay Cutler and that game ended up being way more interesting than it should have been. Uh, and it being kind of a harbinger for the next year, which is when they, they win four and they, they can't get to five and then they go to Knoxville and they get the upset that everybody remembers. And I just I would be very surprised if the path took on a much different trajectory than that. Now maybe they win a couple more games in year three, but I think year one and even year two are, are take your lump years and maybe sometime in year three it starts to click a bit. Of course, you know, the good news is, as that story unfolded, they got their first bowl win since the early 80s. And and we had recruited well. I mean, there was very good players that are still in the league right now off those teams. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I look, I admit we're not ready. We don't want Bama obviously right now. Uh, but I mean, it, it's so early in all of this, man. I, 
I mean, I don't get me wrong. I, 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 I'm frustrated by a few things that I see already, but I mean, man, it's, it's so early on in this thing. I just, that's why it's such a hard question to answer. And it's almost an impossible one because we're dealing with, you know, as far as the success side of things, I'm counting on people that aren't even there yet. So I don't know who they are. Yeah, uh, it, it's just going to be that way for a while. And I, I think people are going to have to to set their expectations. I do look at Bobby's first year. They they lost some games that were a lot closer than I remembered. Remember, the, the first game was just Georgia Tech. Tech beat the brakes off them in Atlanta, right? 45-3, um, to three, wasn't it? It was. Good memory. Then they come back. They, they beat Furman 49-18 in the game where Cutler went nuts. They played Auburn, lose thirty-one to six, and then they actually played. I'd forgotten they made a lot of those games really competitive. In fact, they played Georgia till within twenty-eight seventeen. Georgia was fifth in the country, so I guess the difference between that and this is they were able to keep games a lot closer then than than they have so far. So why, why don't why don't we why don't we do this? Why don't we play some of these SEC games first and find out? Now the Georgia game. I mean, there's. There's no reason for me to believe this game is going to be close. There's just not. We, we. First of all, I mean, I, that that Georgia defense is just insane. It's I will ridiculous. consider it. Yeah. I, I will consider it a a a plus. And I know this sounds crazy. No, no, I guess it doesn't. If Vanderbilt totals 150 yards of offense in this game and scores 10 points, I will consider that a mildly successful day for that offense. Yeah, you know, and, and that—I mean, those are horrible numbers. But I mean, that—that that defense for Georgia is what it is. You know, look, and there's the difference. I mean, this is not about Kirby Smart. I mean, you and I know, Chris. And look, at the end of the day, I mean, you got to have a good coach, and you got to have someone who knows how to to do something with it. But this is all about recruiting. You can either do it or you can't. You're either fantastic or not. You either get in these studs or you don't. And now once you get them, you have to do something with it. I freely admit that because that is one of the biggest negatives on Tennessee. You know, everybody acts like they haven't been able to recruit since Philip Fulmer left. That's a lie. That's not true at all. Even all the crap coaches they've had come through there, they've all been able to recruit. They've just been garbage at player development, complete garbage at it. You know, and they've had a revolving door of, of assistants and, and head coaches, but they've been able to recruit the entire time. You know, there was a class they had not long ago. You remember that, Chris? They signed like 30-something people, and I think maybe three or four of them actually graduated from there, you know, or fi- or finished playing there. Uh, but you, ha- you have to be able to recruit at a high level. And while we may never look Georgia and Florida and teams like that in the eye, we won't. It doesn't, we never will. That's not ever going to happen. If, if, if you're waiting on those days, then you probably ought to become a fan of a different team because that's not who we're going to be. We need to be able to recruit well enough consistently in that 25 to 35, you know, 40 at the bare end uh, range to be able to play with the Kentuckys, Missouri, South Carolina, Tennessees of the world, win three or four non-conference games, and try to win six, seven games a year. You know, that sounds like a defeatist attitude, but I'm also a realist, you know, and those are, that's a doable thing, by the way. Let me ask you a question, Chris, and then I've really got to get scatting, but James Franklin, 
who won nine games in a row, two years in a row, never failed to go to a bowl game. Do you think that he was headed for a three and nine season after that? Because I would also remind you that he was going to have Trace McSorley as his quarterback going forward. Um, I think, you know, so do you think he would not have been able, he may not have been able to continually win nine games, but do you think that that guy was going to drop down to winning two, three games at Vanderbilt? I don't. No, they they played a weak schedule that year. He would have gotten five somewhere, uh, maybe South Carolina. Um, I I think, and yeah, I mean that that was they, they weren't going to go seven wins that year, but he that would have been their hiccup year where they got better at the end, and and you know fifteen would have been okay. Let's play ball again and have some fun here, right? That's right. You know that's right. And you know, the thing about it is, we call it a hiccup year. Five year, five wins is a hiccup year. Five wins got Jerry DiNardo SEC Coach of the Year. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm just telling you. I mean, if if we if, if Clark Lee can recruit well and they develop players, there is no reason why this team cannot win six, seven games. You know, and and and, and a fan base have that type of expectation won't happen every year. Just it's life in the SEC, and we're adding Oklahoma and Texas. So good grief, but. I mean, you know, if look, if this school puts every puts its resources behind this program, you know, and and, and this coaching staff learns to to develop as a staff, uh, and there's no reason that that's an expectation that we shouldn't have, you know. I mean, th- this university has said we're things are changing, you know. We we're we're committed to it, and you know, are they telling the truth? What do people always say? Put your money where your mouth is. Well, they're doing that. At least they say they're going to. I'm still waiting on some stuff to to see the light of day. But, you know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's the eternal optimist in me. I'm not sure. But uh, I think it's it's the type of expectation that that Vanderbilt fans should be able to have within a year or two under Clark Lee. At least I hope. Well, you've heard me say this at times during the course of our seven years on the podcast – this is why I always say when you know it is not going well with the coach and you're sure of it, you got to make a move then. Now, they they created their own set of blinders with that and 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 found reasons that I think were not intellectually very honest to to not make a change from Derek. But here's the thing: let's say you make this move after the UNLV two years ago after that game. Let's say you just make it right then and there, and just for argument's sake, let's say that you. You get Clark Lee in. I think by this point, we got a much better idea whether this is going to work or not. And you've given the guy a little bit bigger of a runway um, to to you know to get your guys in and get experience. Um, you know, twenty twenty was going to be rough on everybody anyway. But then this would be year two uh, of all that, and and you just. You know, when you when you don't make the changes you need to change, you just drag the fan base not only through the misery that you're in, but you add a couple more years to it, and, and they've got to get out of that habit as a school. Right. Well, I mean, they they've taken the first step, so you know that's that's all I can go from is here. You know, anything else, and I'm just going to be living in what they did. You know, it's it's all about right now. They've committed three hundred million, and they got a brand new coaching staff. They fired yeah. coaches that you and I and everybody listening, two of them that 
we thought couldn't be fired. They fired both of them. There's a reason for it. You know, they, I don't think they made those moves to just fall back into the same old pattern, because if so, why would you even bother? Yeah, I, I've had a lot of that. Oh, Lord, how am I going to cover the next two seasons moments in, in the last couple of weeks? Because you know how these get. They get repetitive. You've run out of stuff to say. You have to stretch to find stuff uh, to the point of almost damaging your credibility uh, in, in in an attempt to be balanced and and give some hope and that, that's kind of where my head's been a lot the last couple of weeks. Like, oh man, I've, have, I, have I not done this enough the last few years? But I was thinking like, boy, had they not made a change, how, how much tougher would this have been if we're doing this right now and it's Derek Mason and it's Nick Zeppos? You probably would have been doing this podcast with somebody else for one. <laughs> right. <laughs> and with that, I'm going to be doing this podcast with somebody else if I don't let you go, because I know you've got obligations. you got that right. So, uh, yeah, give your give your info on the way out of here, please, sir. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. The info is you can find me at at, uh, at Cheap Seats Bass on Twitter, at Cheap Seats Bass. I love talking many sports with you cats. Uh, you can find me at 101.5 FM twice a day, 8.30 in the morning to 11 o'clock. That's a show of, that's called Everybody Talks uh, with myself and Chuck Walker. That's about any and everything going on in the world. And then from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock at night, you can find me back on the mic uh, with the cheap seats, except for on Friday nights when I'm calling high school football. And speaking of that, this Friday, just head over to WNWS.com, scroll down, click on Game of the Week, and I'll be calling – Westview versus Southside, and if, if that means anything to you, that's Ty Simpson, the Alabama commit, the five-star Alabama commit. Uh, they'll be playing Southside out of Jackson, and I'll be on the call for that one. Uh, looking forward to watching this young man. I've seen plenty of film on him. Uh, he's, he's the real deal, friend. Hey, thanks for joining, my friend. Have a great rest of your week. Yeah, Chris, you too, man. I love you. <laughs> it's mutual. Ditto, right? <laughs> Ditto, indeed. <laughs> thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon. <laughs>